Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkingACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at ASD underscore Hokiesmash. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces our guest. Good evening, everyone. This is Matthew. This is the longest-running independent ACC podcast in the United States, and we just have an awesome guest here tonight. Jamal Murphy is here with us tonight. You can follow him on Twitter at at Blackatologist. He is the Black Bracketologist. He's an attorney. He's a writer. He's also a CBS local contributor and he's been on this podcast just several times before. He's uh, he's a co-host of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast. He covers college basketball. He covers the Knicks. Uh, he covers the Mets, the Giants, like anything that's New York in the world. And uh, looks like we're having technical difficulties here, Jeff. Um, what, do you want to give our our uh, before we start here, Jeff, with our podcast? Do you want to give our our uh, listeners an overview on what happened? Just a quick overview on what happened with, happened with Clemson today. You and I were having a small discussion here. Um. Yeah. The the, the short version is that you know they were shafted out of a NCAA bid today. Um. You know, directly asked by the by Reese Davis on ESPN, the committee chair was asked a direct question about why Clemson was left out of the field and uh, he didn't even address it, which um, I, I found to speak volumes that he, he couldn't even point to a particular reason why uh, Clemson was left out of the field. Um, yeah, I mean, the ACC had probably, you know, three true bubble teams. Uh, I, I don't know if too many people felt North Carolina was was really on the bubble with their one uh, Q1 win, but um, in fact they were actually closer to receiving a bid than Clemson. But no surprise, they got left left out. Berg um, and NC State uh, were also bubble teams and deservedly got into the field, uh, but Clemson was was left out, and it's it's not really you know clear clear why i don't I, the only thing i can point to is that they had the atrocious losses to to loyola and to to louisville uh but when you compare them um i i tend to look at when you say which teams were on the bubble digit uh at large bid that's 10 or higher is is a team that was you know one one of the last 10 or so in they were on the bubble and when you compared clemson to penn state Pittsburgh and NC State, uh, they were five and zero against them, and and I, I think this speaks to a larger issue that that the NCAA committee is is getting into now. And I mean, I, I can go on for this for a while, and not just about Clemson, you know, for one thing, in the ACC in general. Um, but but what is what has happened is we we've started to become so in love, you know, with with our computer metrics, with advanced metrics. Uh, that we've lost sight of the most obvious uh, comparison when evaluating teams and conferences, and and that's that's head to head. 
I mean, there's there's no other, um, you know, better comparison of two teams and where they're at than when they play each other, especially if they've played multiple times. And, um, you know, when, 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 when that's more like it's maybe 15th on your, on your list of criteria, when, when something like, um, a, a metric that's maybe 15 spots of, apart, like a strength of schedule, for example, or, uh, you know, one Q1 win has more value than a head-to-head matchup, especially multiple head-to-head matchups. Uh, you have to you have to ask yourself, like, what are we really looking at? How have we lost sight that, you know, when you in these number of games where where head-to-head is has become devalued, and um, you know, one of a dozen or so metrics carry more weight. That that's something I don't understand. Absolutely, Je- Maybe- Jeff Jamal is here with us now. And yes. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Have you here, Jamal? How you doing tonight? How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, we can, and we're thrilled to have you on the show. I mean, you have been a return guest on this show every year for several years now. This is the longest running independent ACC podcast in the country, and we are thrilled to have you back on this show. We're so happy you're here. So, thank you for coming coming back. Let me just run through your bio here. You met, uh, we, we know that you are, you can follow, follow uh, Jamal on Twitter at, at Blackatologist. He is the Black Blackatologist. He's an attorney. He's a writer. He's a CBS local.com uh, contributor. He's the co host of Bill Roden on Sports Podcast. He covers college basketball, the Knicks, Nets, Mets, Jets, Net, Giants, pretty much anything New York. I'm wondering, even I, I'm, I'm getting at this time of the year, Jamal, Jamal, that anybody is probably asking you about Rick Pitino from Iona, since that's in your general area. But, but, but I think I ran through a lot of your the items that you've done here tonight. But is there anything that you want to plug, Jamal? Tell us about yourself. The floor is yours, friend. Thanks. No, thanks for having me. It's always a blast. Uh, especially this time of, time of year, March Madness. That's my favorite. It's like Christmas Day. Um, but no, I think you covered everything. Uh, I guess ESPN Anscape is, is where I do most of my writing these days. Uh, but I think you covered everything. And people got to be asking you about Rick Pitino. I know we're going <laughs> to get into that probably. We're going to get into that. So give us your thoughts on North Carolina's epic fall from grace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I went to school in, in North Carolina, so I have a lot of friends uh, that I'm still in group chats with. So it was a it was an ongoing topic uh, throughout the year. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was just a I guess it was a combination of bad things happening and um, different circumstances. I guess one, I guess the media and all of us in the media, I guess, overrated them to some extent. Um Remember, of course, last year they didn't really play well the entire season. They they got hot at the end of the regular season and then had that uh, epic run uh, to the Final Four to the championship game. We actually remember winning uh, that that championship game. I was there. They were up at halftime. It was it was pretty much a foregone conclusion at halftime that they were going to win that game. They collapse, lose. Uh, of course, they lose Brady Manick, uh, who I think people. Uh, didn't quite value as much um, as they should have in terms of his absence. Um, Pete, Pete Nance uh, could not really replace him, Not didn't have that same toughness, uh, you know, clutch gene that Manic had. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, got, I have to point to Caleb Love. Um, 
you know, who was hot at the end of last year and in and in the uh, for most of that Final Four run, um, but you know his his production was nowhere to be found. He regressed as a player. You know he came into this year. Many people thought he'd be you know a late first round draft pick, uh, maybe better than that. And right now I don't. I think he's you know I don't know if he's a draft pick at all. Um, so I I think you got to point to those two things, and then, and then you know you got to put some blame on Hubert Davis uh, because it is the coach's responsibility uh, to put to put the pieces together and he wasn't able to do it. So I think, you know, coming into next year, there's going to be a real question uh, of, of what Hubert Davis can do for the program. And Jeff, you have a follow-up here. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to know what, what you thought, um, Jamal of uh, North Carolina turning down an NIT bid. Does it, does it matter? They, UNC fans seem to be kind of mixed on you know having the opportunity for the for the team to you know collect a few more wins have young players get more practice and 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 other side hey it's north carolina we don't care about the nit what what do you think about um them turning down an nit bid that's interesting that's that's breaking news to me i hadn't heard that um yeah i mean it it kind of it it kind of tells you where where they're they're at in terms of you know this the complete disappointment that they must feel right now, uh, you know I'm sure they look at this season as a complete failure, uh, not making the NCAA tournament, so they don't really want to embark on the NIT. I'm sure it was probably put to the team, you know um, I don't know if it was a team vote or I'm sure it was discussed whether they wanted to do it, and 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 they said no, um, and that it it's kind of to me it kind of points to the the lack of you know, team spirit and chemistry they probably had all season, which is the reason they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, so I think I think it does, you know, shed some light on uh, the attitude of the team, because I think, you know, if if they enjoyed playing together, um, you know, they would they would play in the NIT. So I, and I guess that's not the case. So um, that's that's pretty interesting. I, I would say I look. I would look at that as a negative, to, to be honest. That they didn't. That they don't want to play in the NIT. I, I understand why they wouldn't want to, but I still think that's a negative. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Interesting point there about. I mean, there'd been some rumors about them, you know, dissension among the team, and and you know, I I I, I was thinking mostly. Oh, they didn't want to play in the NIT, maybe because. You know, it just was simply the disappointment of not reaching the NTA tournament. But that, that was a that's a really good point that when you enjoy playing together, you probably want to keep on playing together in any any format. So, yeah, that I, I think that's a really important point and maybe speaks to the chemistry issues that they seem to had the entire season. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and when you watch them, you know, I mean, I've, you know, obviously, like you said, there were rumors about the chemistry of, of players on the team. Um, and and when you watched him, you could just see that something wasn't right, and and I and I kind of point to uh, like I said before, Caleb Love. I mean the way he played, and maybe that's just that's just his style of play. Is you know he's a gunner, but I mean he just didn't play smart basketball, and I and I could see you could see on on teammates' faces the the resentment they had towards that at times. All right, thank you, Jamal. All right. Um, yeah, looking 
looking at a little bit here at the ACC, um, let's play ACC coaches hot seat. And, I, you know, a couple of ACC coaches that that uh, were on the hot seat or and, and with some struggling programs have already, you know, either retired or been fired. You know, we had Beheim at Syracuse, which seemed to kind of be uh, a forced retirement. It's It seemed to be Bray, Mike Bray at Notre Dame was more look like a, a choice there. And Josh Pastner, you know, after 29 ACC losses the past two seasons at Georgia Tech, uh, he's gone. Um, of the remaining coaches, rank the top three hottest seats in the ACC right now. Well, yeah, I would definitely agree with, you know, Georgia Tech is there. Uh, and then, you know, you got to look at Clemson uh, not making the NCAA tournament this year. We'll see what happens there. But, uh, but I have to think that the, the seat is hot, um, even if he's given a, another year. Which, which you know, I wouldn't be against. They had a they had a solid season, but uh, had some terrible losses uh, in a weak non conference schedule. Did them in, uh, and and the overall weakness of the ACC this year did them in also. Um, but those are the two. And then you know you add, like you said, you add the 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 seats that we thought were hot and turned out to be pretty hot because, because they made they made changes at Notre Dame and Syracuse. So we'll see. It's, you know, it's a changing of the guard all over the country. And, that, and, and the ACC is no different. I, I think one coach, I, I don't know if I would, I don't know how hot his seat is, but I, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of pressure um, on a couple of other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, one, he's, he's, a prob- he's probably a certain Hall of Famer, but, but Leonard Hamilton there at, at Florida State, um, definitely had some struggles the last couple of years after a great run at Florida State, and then uh, I think Steve Forbes or Forbes there at at Wake Forest. He's going to be entering his fourth year, and he has yet to make the uh, NCAA tournament at Wake Forest. And you kind of look at year number four, three, four, five. Uh, if you haven't made the NCAA tournament, you know by 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 that time, by the years three, four, and five. Um, the pressure really starts to ramp up on you. Yeah, that those that's those are good points, especially the Wake Forest situation. Even though I, you know, I feel like they've been a good team the last couple of years, pretty solid. But you're right; they've come up they've come up short. Um, as for as for Leonard Hamilton, I think he's definitely safe this this coming year. Um, and I think as long you know, this was such an aberration. The year that they had this year, that you know they were they were supposed to be a pretty solid team. I think most people probably thought they would make the NCAA tournament, you know, coming into the you know during the preseason, um, but everything kind of fell apart. Uh, you know, they had you know injuries, guys who uh, you know weren't able to play as soon as as uh, as expected. Um, I mean, Leonard Hamilton has been so good for so long. Um, he and he and he personally has no. Uh, he, you know, he he's not looking to retire anytime soon. Um, I I think his spot is is safe unless he has a season, you know, anywhere close to what he had this this season. Then, of course, I think the seat become would become truly hot. Um, but I wouldn't count on that. I wouldn't count on him repeating a season like he had this year because I can't remember the last time, um, you know, it was this bad. Um, but you're right about about Wake Forest, even though. I think he's done a good job the last couple of years, but you're right. If you, I mean, you have you have to you cannot, you know, four years without making the tournament 
is is a, a red flag for sure. So, you know, next season he's going to have to make the tournament. All right. Um, with the brackets just released a couple of hours ago, um, you, you know, how many ACC teams do you think make it out of the first weekend? And when I look at this, I could, I could see a scenario where none of them make it out of the first weekend. And I, I could see a scenario where four or five of them reach the second weekend or, or make it out of the first weekend. And, and I'm really interested in your answer here, if, if what, what you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it'd go either way. But, and, but that's no slight to the ACC. I mean, I think this tournament is going to be wide open. You know, you look across the landscape, all these schools from all these different conferences are tough. Um, and uh, the ACC schools all have tough matchups. You know, I like Miami a lot as a team. But, you know, of course, they have they have injury issues at the moment. Um, and Drake is is a very <laughs> is a very formidable opponent. Uh, and then even if they were to win that game, uh, you know, Indiana, Kent State, you know, would be tough. So, you know, but I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, for that if Miami made it to the second weekend at all. Same goes for Duke. Um, you know, Duke is playing very, very well. Um, you know, they get, they get the five seed. I think that's a correct seed, uh, despite how well they're playing lately. The problem is, like like I said before, in terms of Clemson, the ACC is, you know, was down this year in terms of, especially in terms of uh, teams' computer numbers, et cetera, and their non-conference performances. Uh, so it's, it's hard to say, you know, just the fact that Duke played so well towards the end of the year in conference and in the conference tournament, it's hard to, to, to really know, it's hard to, to know how to value that um, because Virginia struggled towards the end of the year. We're not sure how, how solid they really are. Uh, Miami, like I mentioned, was, was dealing with injuries and, you know, Duke beat both of those teams uh, to win the ACC tournament. So we'll see, but, but, you know, Duke plays all Roberts, who's one of the, who's one of the best and hottest teams in the country uh, in that five twelve game. So everything is going to be tough. I'm, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm kind of down on Virginia right now. So I would, I think at this point I'd be surprised, somewhat surprised if they made it out the second weekend, but I think it's Duke and Miami are the two with the best chance to get to that second weekend. All right. Um, when you look across the bracket, uh, who do you have in your final four right now? Well, you know, I I, I filled out the bracket, you know, as I'm sure we all do uh, very quickly as soon as it came out. Um, and, and what I have, surprisingly, you know, after I talked all this stuff about it being wide open, of course, you know, I have a lot of chalk. Um, but I have uh, Alabama coming out of the south. I have Marquette coming out of the east. I have Houston coming out of the Midwest, and I have UConn uh, coming out of the West. Um, but, you know, of course, a lot of that probably won't happen. You know how that goes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this, this, this is one of those years I could very easily see, you know, one or fewer number one seeds making it uh, to the final four. I mean, this... The, the the gap between the number one seeds and the eight nine teams and even some of the digital double digit teams uh, is as close as I can I can remember. I mean, when you look at uh, a, a potential Purdue Memphis 
game in the second round. I mean, I, I think of at least a third of the people are going to pick Memphis to win that game. Yep. When you, when you have that kind of a, um, you know, a second round matchup and, you know, you got a two seed, like, like Tennessee and a team like uh, with the athleticism of a Tennessee uh, as a four. I mean, it, it is this, the, the tournament is always wide open. And, and this year I, I think it is ap- it, It's even more wide open than it usually is. And we know it's always uh, a wide open tournament because it, it's just the gap this year uh, between teams, I think is, is much smaller than in years past. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, we, we've had you know, this season, we know we did have a cons- pretty consistent top four or five. Uh, when you look at Alabama, Purdue, Houston, and Kansas, and UCLA, I guess. But, you know, all those teams, you know, proved that they could also be beaten uh, by, you know, not even you know, by, you know, Purdue lost to, lost at home to Rutgers, you know, Alabama, uh, got crushed by, by Oklahoma, you know, so we know that all these teams can lose to lesser opponents and, you know, and the second tier of teams, when you, you know, you talk about teams like Arizona, uh, you know, Marquette, Texas, you, you know, all these teams are right there, Baylor, you know, then of course Duke is hot. Uh, Miami is capable of beating anybody. Uh, Creighton. I mean, there's just so many teams, um, and it, it's almost like going chalk. You know, when I say I, w- I went chalk, I'm looking at my bracket, and, and in the regional final, I have Houston, Texas, one, two. I have uh, Alabama, Arizona, P- Purdue, Marquette. You know, not, I'm sure a lot of that is not going to happen. You know, but it's just hard to pick which one, which upset's going to happen. So, um, I'm with you. This is going to be a very exciting tournament. Uh, it does. It just feels more wide open. You're right. It feels more right, wide open than usual. Um, and I think it's going to start in the first round because, like, I, you look at these these uh, these automatic bids. The team the teams are very good teams on long winning streaks. Have older players, or you know, have you know big athletic teams. I mean, you got Drake, Kent State. Uh, I mean, all the way down Furman. Charleston has thirty-one wins. I mean, has uh, Charleston had thirty-one wins? Yeah, Florida Atlantic was a great team this year. All Roberts, like I mentioned, all these all these teams are very good teams this year. Uh, I just feel like there are more than usual. So, you know, strap up, <laughs> strap in for a good for a good ride this this uh, this uh, next week. Yeah, absolutely, and I totally agree with you there. And then watch out; everything goes chalk next weekend, just because we said that. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. All right, um, we're gonna have um, this next question be our coaching hire prospects. We're gonna call it our lightning round, um, and we've got five schools that are looking for new coaches. Uh, actually, one's already hired. It's how fast these things move. Um, but let's start with Notre Dame. Who do you have on their short list? to replace Mike Bray. Wow. I think, I think for Notre Dame, it's going to depend on, uh, on some other schools who moves first, like, like Georgetown. I think uh, we, we're going to see who, who takes that Georgetown job first. Uh, I, th- I think that's probably the more appealing job um, because I'm looking at a guy like Shrewsbury from Penn state. Um, and I, I know he's high on Georgetown's list, but I think if 
if Georgetown didn't take him, I could see him at Notre Dame. Um, so, yeah, so Notre Dame is tough. I think, like you said, Syracuse, uh, they hired Red Autry. Uh, I think that's a solid hire. Um, you know, he, you know, he was, he's actually a New York City legend as a player in high school, and he's been in Syracuse a long time under Bayheim. Uh, Georgetown, like I said, I think you got to put Shrewsbury there. They're, they're uh, reportedly talking to Ed Cooley. We'll see whether Ed Cooley would leave his hometown Providence uh, and stay in the Big East. I think, I think he would leave Providence, but to stay in the Big East and then have to play Providence twice a year, that might be, um, you know, we'll see if, if he'd be willing to do that. Uh, other people on the, li- on the Georgetown list, of course, you know, we've heard Patino's name uh, pop up there. I don't really uh, foresee that happening. I think uh, Patino is more likely to be a St. John's hire. Um, that's really the only person I've re- I've heard seriously talked about at St. John's, but uh, but of course Texas Tech is looking at him also. Um, Georgia Tech, I'm not I'm not really sure who Georgia Tech, uh, you know, is would be looking at. Um, the, the, the maybe two names. Yeah, the, the names that I've heard so far is that they're they're going to try to make a run at out of at at Pat Kelsey there at College of Charleston is probably the home run they're going to they're going for and then also um Hunter there at Tulane who if I remember coached at Georgia State for a while and and those are are two two names that that I hear they're looking at and as a Georgia Tech guy myself I'm pretty would be okay with either hire and and I think Kelsey would be the home run hire yeah, I like I I would like either one of those also at, at Georgia Tech and Hunter seems like he'd be a pretty good fit. Uh seems like he would be able to recruit pretty well uh in that Atlanta area. Uh so th- those would be those would be good choices. All right. Very good. Um Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you as we close the podcast with our open microphone segment. Open microphone segment. Jamal, the floor is yours. Well, open microphone, you know, I, I always love to to just focus on where we are right now with, with March Madness. You know, we talked a lot about it. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, since we're talking ACC, I think this is going to be a very interesting uh, tournament for the ACC. And almost, you know, you, you can almost look at it the same way as it was last year when, when, when the tournament started, everyone was down on the ACC. Remember, this is probably the second straight year where the ACC has been a little down, uh, people not acting much of the ACC. But last year, the ACC did uh, pretty well, especially in the in the early rounds of the tournament. And obviously, they had two teams in the Final Four in Duke and in North Carolina, uh, so they did very well overall. And I, I'd be inter- I'm interested to see how they do this year because everybody's counting the ACC out, um, including me to some extent. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised. If uh, if Duke played well um, and and advanced and Miami, uh, Virginia, who I'm down on, we know is capable. We know Virginia's capable of advancing in the tournament. Um, you know, I'm I'm still I'm very down on NC State and Pittsburgh in terms of in terms of doing you know winning more than a game. I think they can I think they can each win a game, uh, but you know NC, NC State. Uh, to me, you know, should be thanking the lucky stars that they're in the tournament, to be honest. 
Uh, I had the, I had them as the first team out um, because you know they were one in six in quad one. Uh, they they had they really had no good wins away from home. They had the Duke they had the Duke win a blowout Duke win, which was by far their best win. They had, they beat Miami at home, uh, but and I think they beat Wake Forest on the road. That was their best road win, which was a solid win. But they had, they didn't have anything besides that Pittsburgh. So up and down, even though they were, you know, it was by far uh, Capel's best year as a coach at Pitt, uh, his best year as a coach period in a long time. Uh, but, you know, they had some very bad losses. They had terrible computer numbers. Um, and then to get, you know, absolutely obliterated by Duke in the ACC tournament was not a good look either. So I'm not expecting much from those two teams, but, you know, Miami, Virginia, and Duke are capable. And I think if they're going to, uh, you know, represent the ACC and, you know, prevent people from talking bad about about the ACC uh, in the next week or two. It's going to be up to those three teams and, we'll, you know, we'll see. So I'm looking forward to it. Very good analysis, Jamal. I have one extra question. I'm going to use my open microphone to ask you another question. How much do you watch the – do you watch the, the women's basketball tournament? Yes, I do. How- this is a now. This is a this is a total flip side of the sunny as we as they say of the sunny side equation here because the I, I honestly thought for a while the ACC could have ten teams in the NCAA tournament. I mean, and it a very good chance for some ACC teams to make a deep run. Can you just give me your your quick analysis on on women's basketball? Well, on the ACC side, you know. I can't say that I'm, you know, I, I follow it that closely. But what I, the one team I do follow on the ACC uh, side is Notre Dame. Uh, you know, I love, I love uh, their point guard. Um, it's, she's the, what's her name again? I'm just, I'm just it's just, uh, I'm just uh, forgetting it right now. But she's one of the best point guards in the country. I love, you know, she she reminds, she passes like Magic Johnson. I love so every time Notre Dame is on, I watch her. Um, so. But I mean, just in general, uh, South Carolina is always great with Dawn Staley, and of course Iowa. Uh, they've they've been killing. So I I just think it's it's going to be a very it's going to be very uh, entertaining um, women's tournament for sure. Were you were you thinking of was it Olivia Miles? Yes, Olivia Miles. She Olivia Miles. she's good. Of course, you know I'm biased. I'm thinking of Elizabeth Kitley, the center from Virginia Tech, who's been the ACC Player of the Year twice, two years in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I don't think I've really seen her play, to be honest. Oh, you'll yeah. You know they're hosting a re- the Hokies are hosting a regional this year, mm-hmm. and you know there's a good chance. You know Jeff and I both think, and Jeff will probably have more more to say about this. But we think there's a good chance that you could see multiple ACC teams, uh, you know, into into the Sweet 16. So it's gonna, I, it's 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 kind of like, do you remember when the when the Big East had like 11, 12 teams in the NCAA tournament? Do you remember that? Yes. It's it's not quite that for the women's basketball this year for the ACC, but it's not too far away from that. And and they're all, it's a pretty t- it's it was a tough league all year. So Jeff, you're up, friend. The floor. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Um, yeah, I, I kind of ranted about Clemson at the beginning of the of the podcast, and you know, so we, we've already talked about that. But I, you know, continue with with what was going on. What I said with that discussion about head to head results, and you know, when when I look 
And, and, and there's no question, you know, it was not a vintage year for the ACC. The bottom of the conference was, was horrendous. Um, you know, Louisville and, and Florida State lost something like 18 games out of conference, which, which just basically pulled down the entire league, particularly Louisville, whose, mm-hmm. you know, RPI and net rankings were in the 300s. Um, but, but one thing that uh, we've ended up having, you know, just devaluing these these head-to-head results. I mean, you look at the ACC versus the Big Ten. The Big Ten gets three more bids than the than the ACC. You know, by every computer metric, you you, you have the the Big Ten ahead. But the conferences also play twenty-five times against each other. Um, you know, that's not a small sample size. And the ACC had a winning record against the Big Ten. You know, from top to bottom, teams playing each other. Um, you know, and to me that that indicates that the leagues were were closer together, you know, than than some of the metrics would show. So, I mean, we've gotten to this point where the on court results don't even seem to matter as much as when you look at a, you know, a strength of schedule or when one or two teams like a, like a Louisville in particular pull down pull down the ACC as a whole. Uh, I remember when Clemson lost to Louisville and, and no question that was a horrendous bad a horrendously bad loss. Um, but that was a game that I think the next day Clemson had dropped some 15 spots, you know, in the net rankings. Um, you know, you shouldn't have you shouldn't be, have to go on a road on a conference game and 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 you lose and drop that far. I mean, that that speaks to how bad Louisville was. Um but we, we've gotten to a point where it seems like head-to-head results are, are as, you know, have become devalued as a criteria. And we we spend all of our time looking at the strengths of schedule and conference metrics. And um, to me, it, it should start with head-to-head and maybe work its way down. But, you know, that's, that's my rant. Um, one other thing, if I'm the ACC, because of this, what I might look at into the future um, is, is increasing the number of conference games that you play and and insulate yourself uh, for from some of these you know results that happen out of conference. I, I don't think you'll often see a team like a Louisville that you saw in the ACC this year with with that was as bad as they were. I think most of the time uh, the majority of the league is going to be in the top 150, maybe a couple teams between 150 and 200. I think that was where. Uh, it was unusual this year that they had, you know, two or three teams that were well over uh, 150 in the net and the RPI rankings. Um, it might be something for the ACC to think about, you know, uh, insulate yourself by playing more conference games and, and fewer out-of-conference games, especially against teams that are projected to be, um, you know, over 150 in some of the, in some of these metrics that that seem to come up. Because we're, if we're not going to value, uh, you know, actual head-to-head results, should maybe the conference should start insulating itself. I don't know, just a thought out there. But anyways, it's March Madness. Um, everyone had an opportunity to to give themselves an automatic bid into the tournament. So you know, even if you think you got snub, I think Clemson did get snub. You know, they had their opportunity. Um, it's wide open, like Jamal and I. Uh, said Matthew. So it, it, as always, it's going to be fantastic and I can't wait. For so it. can I ask you a follow-up, Jeff? I mean, because I, I felt that there's some, you know, when we, you and I chatted on Twitter, I've almost felt like there was some similarities between Virginia Tech and Clemson because Virginia Tech 
had a terrible non-conference schedule in 2011. I'm talking about that specific team, and I almost, I almost feel like it's not quite mirror images, but there are some similarities between the two, the two teams, and I do agree with you. I think they both should have got in. But I mean, it's this. It all. It almost feels like they were mirror images of each other. Yeah, pretty similar. That that 2011 Virginia Tech team should have absolutely have been in the field too. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jamal, thank you so much for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We loved having you on this show, and we would love to have you come on again anytime. Thanks again for sharing your Sunday evening with us, sir. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye.